Folks, welcome back inside the Paris Sea Palace High Above 2919 East Broadway. This is the Jake Feinberg Show, coming to you live on Power Talk. Please go to our website, powertalk.live. Download our free app and stream all of our live local programming, including yours truly, the Jake Feinberg Show. And we can't thank you enough for making us part of your day today. And uh, before I started my journey five years ago, um, I was spiritual, but uh, not necessarily uh, in the sense of believing in the spirit. And um, but uh, along the way here, being able to interview these uh, these luminaries and icons of music, uh, it's it's uh, validated to me that, in fact, uh, the, the spirit is very real, that love is very real. And then what the time when the time is is right, everything falls into place. And um uh, the period of time that I focused on most extensively is the period of 65 to 75 in our country in the 20th century. And uh, one of the greatest writing tandems of that time were Delbert McClinton and Glenn Clark. And I had a chance to uh, talk to Delbert the other day and uh, he gave me uh, Glenn's number. And sure enough, I get a chance now to kick it with Glenn Clark. Welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. How you doing, man? I'm doing really well. How about you? I I can't complain. I mean, I I get a chance to talk to uh, to Delbert and you in the same week after about four years. I never really knew if I was ever going to get a hold of you guys, and then it just all of a sudden became very. Can you talk about that, Glenn? The idea of attainment when you sort of almost give up on something, but then when the timing is right everything just falls into place. Can you talk about a time in your musical career when that happened? You know, I, that probably happened for me in uh, the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, I actually, Delbert and I were working in Fort Worth a lot, and we wanted to do original material, and they wanted you to do cover songs in Fort Worth. They weren't interested in any original material. And it became a thing where I just, I had to let go of the security blanket of being in a comfort zone and and went to L.A. and and I just broke my give shit or everything really kind of, it, it, it allowed me to go for it all the way, not be restricted by somebody saying, oh, we want you to do this, we want you to do that if you want to work here and make money. And, and, and I found L.A. to be a, an environment that was, at that time, really conducive to creativity. I was really lucky. I mean, one of the first people I met was John Hartford, who at the time had written uh, a lot of Glenn Campbell hits, and Glenn Campbell had a TV show, and John was hot as a pistol. But he was just like the guy next door. You know, it was like uh, it, it became a thing where I could see me being successful doing something I love to do, because this guy was so down to earth, and he, it was attainable. He, it made it, you know, that's just one example of people that I met that were really accessible, but they were doing something that I really wanted to do, and they'd become quite successful at it in a way that didn't compromise their integrity. They made, you know, they did what they wanted to do, and it was about their song. So I think that's when... Those beating Daniel Moore and, and 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 working in an environment with those those people that saw 
a way to use your creativity and 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 really enjoy it and and have you know have something to show for it. Um. So, I mean, you had been working on original tunes. You were working them out in those West Texas towns of Abilene, but so it wasn't like you had never played your tunes before, but this was just going into one of the most, one of the hotbeds of, of, of regional music in the country and just sort of just bearing yourself naked. Is that what you're getting at? Well, yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's putting it on the line and, and feeling, you know, first stop to free to fish another word for nothing left to lose. And, <laughs> yeah, I love that, dude. That, I, I love that line. Oh, man. Good. You, you put it out there, and, and you make the decision, you know, I'm going to go for this, and it becomes it, it becomes something that you don't look at the downside at all. And that, to me, was the freedom. That gave me the freedom to say, you know, I came from an environment where, oh, that I was really expected to become a lawyer or a businessman or anything but a musician. You know, and, and so I think I think that that gave me the belief in myself in a way to pursue being a songwriter, which which is uh, uh, now tougher than ever, I think. But back then it was tough. But you know, they were not considered ourselves to be young, tough, and stupid. That's the best way to be, man. I mean, I and and especially down in in Texas. I I mean, can you? Can you talk about, uh, you know, one reason I really wanted to talk to you was just about, you know, even before you moved to Los Angeles, I, 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 I just, I have that record, Delbert and Glenn, and I just love the tunes on it, and there's something about, uh, I just wonder about if you could talk a little bit about being in Texas, a lot of open space, during segregation, loving race records, and yet... How can you talk about a conception of a song, how you conceive songs? Because I don't want anyone to think that it's like about reinventing the wheel. And at the same time, I'd like to go a little bit deeper than just, I love you, you love me, I want you back, that kind of superficial stuff. How do you go, how do you keep it simple, but yet you go deep? Keep it simple, but yeah. What was the last part, Jake? Uh, keep it, si- keep it simple. Don't 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 get overcomplicated, but still go below the surface so that the the, the lyrics and the stories have resonance. Well, I, you know, I learned a lot from Gilbert in that respect, and I, I I grew up in the church of Christ, and my father was a song leader, and there it was a minimalist environment, and I've always. I'm, I won't say always, but one of my philosophies is less is often more. And 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 it became a, uh, a a benchmark for me in my work. If if I could make it really impactful, simple, but yet have this, uh, I could give my point across and keep it simple. That would stand the test of time. And Delbert used to say, you know, we're we're saying the same thing. A lot of people are saying we're just trying to say it a little differently and 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 use maybe less words. I, you know, I I. I Kind of feel like the uh, that the uh, money talks and bullshit walks philosophy was. You, you let your your you let your uh, your lyrics have to stand up there. They've got to stand up, and, and it has to be something that you can believe in and people can relate to. It 
and a lot of times that comes from personal experience or, or inspiration by other artists or uh, other forms of art and uh, by, you know by anger by frustration by sadness by joy so it's it's about it's to me it's about getting an idea that I think I can complete the thought with and 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 be true to myself and say something that that has that will stand at that time and has it has some truth to it you know talking to Glenn Clark here on the Jake Feinberg show. I mean, can you talk about being in LA uh, and then, you know, being in the recording studios, but there, I mean, you had so much acting, so much music. Did you go out and play live in LA and, and who were you playing with just, I mean, cause there were so many cats, like st- one reason I love Delbert and Glenn, those albums subject to change you were using so many studio cats that I've interviewed, like Garnet Brown, great horn sections. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, I'm like, Delbert, and maybe those cats just went out and played for free at night. I just would love to know the, the club you were playing at because you were doing this mix of Gulf Coast, Texas, Soul. And I just would love to know where you guys were just being able to just get stuff off your chest. You know, we were really lucky. Like I said, one of the first... One of the first bands we were in was the uh, was a four a four piece band with Delbert and I uh, uh, five piece band Delbert and I and a guitar player uh, named Steve Auburn and a and a drummer named Roy Clark that had who had migrated from Texas as well who was a friend of ours and uh, and Lee Sparr was the bass player he, we we when we landed in Topanga Canyon. Uh, but Lee Spire was what we lived, was living in the canyon, and one of the first gigs we did, the first few gigs we did was that band, and we just did private parties, and we didn't make any money. And we played the Corral and the Vegas Canyon with other musicians, and we played uh, Harry's in uh, Venice with Jesse Ed Davis, who, who was, we were big Taj Mahal fans, and of course Taj had a couple records out that we were nuts about, and Jesse Ed Davis had played on those records, and and so we, the, the people we got to play with, we loved. I mean, you know, you just you, and, and money wasn't a factor. And we were working day job. We were working in a warehouse. We weren't making any money playing, but what? we were recording, and and we were doing demos. And that was what was our goal was, or that was our the the light at the end of the tunnel for us. You know, we felt like we felt like we were pretty good that we could that we. We could rock, that we could, or that we could play some music and make some good music, you know. And and, and we found people that had been doing that that liked what we did. It was, so it was confirmation, affirmation of of what you know what you aspire to do. I love that line. I mean, Delbert was talking about uh, his blood started to boil when he he was going by this black barbecue joint, listening to. Uh, Listening to cats like uh, uh, Big Joe Turner. Um, I mean, can you just paint the picture? I mean, I'm 38 years old. I, I, you know, I I mean, to me, it's like I've always been curious about the story I've heard is that you had this thing called race records. But then that term became kind of uh, offensive. And so some kind of lawsuit was settled that they changed it to rhythm and blues. And then... When Elvis started to sing, a lot of cats thought he was black. So his music was rhythm and blues, but when they found out he was white, they changed that music and the, and that became rock 
music. And I'm just curious if you could talk about the first time that you really heard a label for music, labels for music, and how you, and if you think labels have been detrimental over the long term to the growth of the vocabulary of all types of music. Well, Race Records, uh, you know, uh, was one of the first terms I heard, and, and it was segregated, and, and we had three radio stations. There was a country western station, there was a rock station, and there was a black station. And and the black station played the, you know, the rhythm. It had become, by the late 50s, it had become rhythm and blues. And, and, the, and, blues. and, and we, that was our favorite radio station. Uh, what I, you know, terminology, when you, it's subjective. When, when, when now, rhythm and blues means something totally different than it did when we were young. Uh, it was Ray Charles, it was Bobby Bland, it was Jimmy Reed, it was Slim, you know, uh, it was Slim Harper. It was always Latin Hopkins, all these, Letty, uh, you know, uh, all these, uh, Beltedley, it, it, it was, uh, and they happened to be black, but the music that is what we call rhythm blues, it's, you know, uh, labels, I, I, it's hard for me to say that they've been detrimental, but they can be misleading, and, and now what we people call rhythm and blues is not what I consider to be rhythm and blues, but it's what people think of as rhythm and blues. I remember hearing somebody call Billy Ocean rhythm and blues, and I think, well, that's not really rhythm and blues, you know? <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I mean, that's what I'm saying. But also, it's like, I just think it it's it just, it the stratification of it, 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 it hinders people from taking chances because they think they're supposed to be locked into a certain... Uh, genre when in fact it's all music it's either good or bad you know and yes, you and maybe De- so maybe so yeah i mean delbert and can you talk about uh um uh the idea of um i mean even today delbert's on a tour in pennsylvania you're still collaborating with him uh I, for younger cat i i notice a lot of cats out there um uh, you know Anyone listening around the world who's striving to be an originalist, someone who's trying to be an independent, just do their own thing. How do you work as a team, a singer, songwriter, musician team? How have you and Delbert managed to work so well decade after decade after decade? And then on top of that, putting out albums that really will stand the test of time. I mean, I don't think, I mean, someone said it, the Delbert Glenn album, uh, I mean, to me, that's like a tearjerker album. I don't think. I mean, to me, I'm not sure if Willie Nelson or or uh, or Chris Christopherson or anybody did a better album than the stuff that you did in the early '70s. And and I just wonder if you could talk to younger cats, people listening all over the world, how do how to work as a good team. Well, we've got mutual respect for each other, and you, I think we both love what each other does. I think. You know, I love the way Deborah sings. I think he loves the way I sing. I, I love him. I love his taste in music. I love the way he plays the harmonica. I, you know, uh, I really love the way he phrases music. So he's been a big influence on me, and I think I've been an influence on him. And I don't think we've ever really. Uh, we. I don't think we really. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's. It's one of those things where we didn't see each other as it wasn't really a competition with us. It was more like a team thing. It wasn't 
it wasn't I was trying to outdo him or he was trying to outdo me. It was we were trying to do something that we both loved. And and I and we loved singing together, we loved playing together, we loved hanging out together. Uh, you know, we just it's it, it's just been a great friendship and, and that was always at the core of it, more than you know, that more than the music maybe. Uh, the the fact that we we we've, we've been really I mean we're still just as you know, really best friends really in a way that that if if we've got a, one of us has a heavy thing going on it's just a few words from the other guy really is is probably as comforting or it means as much as, as as a spouse or as anyone else I mean you know it's just uh, it's a uh, a camaraderie, it's a fellowship, it's a friendship, a love for each other that and and what we do and what we love and a mutual respect that that uh, that over the years has just you know grown to a point where we just now you know, when we're together it's like we've never been apart and, and old friends are that way I guess, but but uh, it's he's like a big brother to me. He really is and I, I I, I gotta say that you know when I go hear him sing and hear him do his show, seventy-five minutes of music. I don't. I really don't know that many people can stand up there and belt it out like he does every night. Yeah. You know what I mean, he's, he he is a boss. You know. So I think I just admire the heck out of him. Um, can you talk about a time in your career, Glenn, when you faced adversity, uh, how you overcame it? And uh, and how it made you a better person and musician? Well, I guess uh, there's been enough, but more than one. You know, I, I think uh, I've I've had downtime or, or quite low points in my life where I didn't have direction and I didn't have. Uh, I wasn't, you know, uh, in, a, in, a, in a situation where I was thriving, and I, and and music was always there for me as a way to pull myself out of the hole. Uh, I, I I've, I've been in situations where I was doing things where I felt like I was compromising my music in terms. Of, I remember working with Christopherson and Chris. Well, commercial was a dirty word to Chris. I mean, just for the sake of writing, just for the sake of commerciality, was uh, was a real no-no. And and I remember being, you know, uh, not not having been married very long and having a young family and and trying to make money and kind of figuring out a way. Oh, I'll do this to make money in the music business. And uh, and I, I think I've. I've would get detoured or, or, or up the sidetrack uh, trying to worry about the almighty dollar as opposed to just worrying about the song and, and, and really loving what you do. So coming back to loving what you do kind of would bring me back. I, I've had both points with my, you know, my father was not really happy with my choices. And, and oddly enough, when, you know, after I worked with Bonnie Wright for and, you know, when I went to, went to work with Bonnie, Bonnie asked me to go to work with her right after she did Nick's time there. And uh, when I told my father that I was going to work, and he really kind of still, although I've been successful, he was not really happy with my choice. And when I told him I'd come to work with Bonnie Ray, 
he said, oh, you went to work for John Waite's daughter. <laughs> that kind of, that, that money's all all right. It was like I was legitimate to him, man. You know, it was like, which was, that was like, wow, Dad. You know what I mean? I love John Wright, and I got beaten to be around John Wright a, a good deal. But to me, that was, it was vindication for what I've done in a way that, you know, it's really kind of roundabout way that my dad kind of came around and said, okay, my boy's okay, you know. And and uh, I, so I, I really haven't had a, a lot of, a terrible amount of adversity, uh, apart from, you know, hard times and, uh uh, and, and that music's always been there for me to to work my way out of those hard times. I mean, it's it's uh, you can you can get you can get lost in the music and, and not and not let the you know, not sweat the small stuff. You know. No, I dig. I mean, I you know I've 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 you know I've I've done all you know a couple of the meters and Doctor John from New Orleans. I've mm-hmm. talked to guys like Les Dudek and. Butch Trucks and and cats from Florida. Then you go up and you know uh, I've done East Coast jazz and the Chicago, the Northern Soul out to Los Angeles. Did two interviews with Bill Cosby about his involvement in music and then whole San Francisco scene. I couldn't think of asking a better person. Could you describe the regional sound of Texas? What was the Texas sound when Glenn? And Delbert were cooking the groove back in the day. What was that sound? Well, it was a combination of country, rhythm, and blues, soul music. What I call it, Texas soul. Texas soul. I, I love. Right, so we we got te- what is Texas soul? And also, let, I, more specifically, what I should have said was everything. You know, there were rhythms. The rhythms were different. Okay, and and so and so, can you talk about the rhythm of Texas soul? It wasn't just four four time. Uh, it wasn't just a shuffle. I just want you to break that down because I'm I'm very fascinated with human rhythm. Well, when you mention the meters, of course, New Orleans, Louisiana, there was a lot of Louisiana input in there. There was regional, all the black acts, the touring black acts. They made that Chitlin circuit. Well, they came through the Jacksboro Highway, and they brought with them you, that you know you, you would have uh, inventive players that, that rhythmically were different. Uh, we, of course, you think of Bo Diddley, you think of Chuck Berry, Jimmy Reed, in a way, uh, was such a big influence. And and part of it was that you wanted to get a groove going. It was not boring, but it was exciting, and it didn't overpower the music. But it really it gave it it gave it uh, 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 intensity, and and so I think it was a belting pot for the uh, the different types of uh, the uh, the uh, second line feel thrown in with the shuffles and the back piece, and, and of course you had North Texas there in Denton, which was a jazz coastal. We like we like sophisticated things as well, although we weren't really adept at playing those things. We, you know, we, we were exposed to a, a, a broad spectrum of music, and the, I think I, I think our music reflected that. They they termed it progressive country and other different things, but it was kind of like a combination of Hank Williams and and Fat Domino. Uh, there were all kinds of influences on it from all kinds of regional regions that were. It, it came through. We heard via that 
that checks for highway chitlin circuit. And, and, and so that was one of the things that was important to us was giving it a rhythm that made it a little like, and I'm thinking that song, Let Me Be Your Lover. Dilbert was really adept at that and giving Cliff, uh, you know, he, he's his phrasing and his, his, Dilbert was a wannabe drummer. He used to play, he tried to play, he played drums a little bit, but he had a drum kit and he, he's a, he, he, he's hard on drummers because <laughs> he's a wannabe drummer. He's a wannabe. But, I didn't realize he was a wannabe drummer. Oh, well, he hadn't tried in a long time, but he first, years ago, he played, played drums and had a practice set. You know, he, he liked playing the drums. And, he, it, and that was, I think he was really hipper at that than I was. I mean, he, he really uh, enlightened me to the importance of that or to the, to the, uh, the freedom of that, the the expressiveness of the of the rhythm, and and he's very rhythmic. You can hear his harmonica playing. He is really uh, so he, he messes in that groove. You know, it's uh, it, 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 I think that the the influence of of the uh, the uh, artists that we heard were really instrumental in us using different rhythms and and wanting to. Uh, have a driving groove and 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 be uh, uh, be a little bit more uh, uh, inventive or or uh, creative with uh, with the rhythm in songs. Then then uh, we we had been we, we, the straight country and you know uh, a lot of the stuff we had originally been exposed to was pretty square in a way and. Uh, and we kind of, we kind of like, we like that groove, you know. We like, you hear that little Richard puppet, or you know, those, those you hear those grooves. That groove moves you, as well as those uh, vocals and and the uh, and 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 lyrics, you know. So it became it it, it became a, a a real part of the process of creating something that you like, finding the right rhythm for it, the tempo. Did you ever cross paths with the uh, the dirt farmer Levon Helm? Oh yeah, but not a lot. But yes, I, you know, I I never really worked with him, but I was a huge fan, and and uh, he's one of those guys that rhythmically was just uh, he really he, he really did a lot of what we like to do. You know, back then the Hawk, Ronnie Hawkins, and I spent more time with Ronnie Hawkins than I did Levon. Oh, you talk about Ronnie because I've interviewed Ronnie. I I mean that dude. What I mean the the. That dude, I mean, the Kate brother, to me, Levon, the, the the reason I bring up, he had that driving, unique, individualistic style of drumming. Uh, and just talk about, did you play, did you play alongside the Hawks on a double bill? I would, I just, to me, well, you I, guys were causing I, all sorts of trouble down there. Well, I, I did not, I didn't play with Hawks until Canada many years later. Wow. You know, but ah. we were aware of him. And, uh, and, and. And he was an influence on us, and Levon certainly was an influence on us, as well as all the bands. I mean, uh, uh, Big Pink was a big, you know, was a big record in my book uh, with, uh, with the band. And, and Levon's singing and playing is, is you know, right there in my, it's, it's among my favorite players and singers. I love the way he sings, love the way he plays. And it's all about it's all about the groove, but it's never 
it's that it's like you know Dilbert said one time when his son his son Clay made his first record, and uh, and Dilbert told me he said uh, Clay had played the record for him and asked him what he thought, and Dilbert says, "Well, I think you need to cut one of the drummer's arms off." <laughs> set one here Glenn I just wanted to ask you in your opinion uh, the health of the touring circuit in in the United States of America today oh that's tough that's tough but you know what I'm encouraged I, I think that because of digital downloads and the devaluation of the, the, the basically the uh, mechanical uh, of record sales has gone away for the writer and for you know that whole source of income for the artist and the writer on sales is now you're 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 making your money doing live performance and selling merch. So it's it's uh, it's not what I would love it to be, but it, it's it, 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 the importance I think is back on the live performance. When we first started, the live performance was the thing, and records said, "Yeah, everybody put out a new single. You'd put out a single a week if you could." You right, know, right. And, and sales were of singles and not so much albums. And then it became where albums were multi-platinum and, and it became a big, there, there was a lot of mechanical income coming from album sales at one point. That's gone away. And, 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 and now I think it's become a thing where you, you, you have a fan base and you go out and play and that live performance has a whole new premium on it because you can't digitally, it, it can't be, it, I was there, I heard that, that was it. And it's not something that can be just, uh, it's become devalued by being, anybody can get it and copy it and and, and it, 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 it's just, uh, uh, it, it's changed the face of the business. So, you know, I wish there were more, I wish there were more and better venues, but I think that, uh, you know, the hurdles and obstacles are part of it and that overcoming those and getting after it makes you better and it separates the wheat from the chaff so I, I wish there were more and better venues for starting out bands but I, I'm encouraged by the fact that there is I think a premium on the live performance nowadays where where it used to be oh getting the album was boy that was really important now you don't really get the album anymore people you know it's not 
Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, and part of it is, like you said, it's uh, it's interesting. We, I think we need to pick up on this in part two. But uh, Glenn, it's it's an honor. I mean, to be able to interview you and Delbert twice, uh, both in one week, uh, it's a major accomplishment for me. And uh, I'd love to uh, pick up on this conversation uh, down the road, my friend. Well, Jake, I appreciate it so much. Thank you anytime. And before I go, I want to say one thing. I, I went on your Facebook page, and I saw some beautiful women in your life, buddy. I got to tell you that I saw a couple of girls, two young ladies, a, a woman and two young ladies that I just thought were so beautiful and happening. Well, so I, I, I mean, God bless you, man. They are they are my my they are my inspiration for doing. My show is all about love, and it all came from them. So, well, I can. Well, I tell you, I just. You have a beautiful family. I just was really tickled when I saw your 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 child's pictures, your wife and kids. I just was it really tickled me. Hey, man. I just boy, you got some good looking kids. I love you. Okay, I man. Really, you're a baby girl, man. I tell you what, that gal, I, I, I she really, I just fell in love with her. Just just a day, just seeing her. You know, I mean, I'm I'm telling. You, well, I'm, believe me, I'm just trying to stay out of her way because she's way beyond me, man. And uh, <laughs> but yo, uh, listen, Glenn, let's let's connect again soon, man. We got more to do, okay? Thanks so much for having me, Jack. I appreciate it. All right, bless you, brother. Talk to you soon. I catch you. All right, Bye. and we'll be right back with Jerry Goodman on the Jake Feinberg Show.